Hi, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for those people who are vaccine confident and aren't afraid to say it. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here in Des Moines, Iowa at Blank Children's Hospital. And we want to welcome you today. um, Later in the podcast, we're going to have a guest, Tara Smith, who is a professor of public health at Kent State. So that will be exciting. She has a paper that came out about a month ago about what can you do as far as advocacy. So it's it's a wonderful paper, and I'm excited to talk to her because it's really on point as far as um, the advocacy um, people in public health and people in science can do, but also there's some applications to anyone anywhere. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to her. If I recall, she has some connections to Iowa and to the University of Iowa in her past as well, and she's always, I've, I've you know, um, had the opportunity to chat with her online some over the years, and she's always been a fantastic advocate and 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 brilliant. Yeah, she's sort of this amazing combination of smart and uh, compassionate. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that's 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 a rarity. So that will be good. But first, um, let's start with our Around the Web. I'm going to let you start, Nathan. Yeah, I will bring up a great piece by Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson, who is a pediatrician at Seattle Children's. She is one of the uh, biggest names in uh, pediatricians who are advocates online. and so if you haven't already been to her blog or followed her on Twitter or Facebook, her blog is seattlemamadoc.seattlechildrens.org. She has a piece. She, one of the things that she does so well is distill things down, um, the topics down in, into bite-sized chunks, uh, digestible chunks that parents can understand and that parents can share. So she has 10 things to know about the 2017 to 2018 flu shots and uh, breaks that down into 10 really simple bullet points. And I think it's a, I think it is probably the one piece that uh, we should be circulating uh, this season because it really lays things out. Um, I'll just go through a few of them real quick. So I think I'll just do the, the quick summary of the 10. The first is that everybody over six months uh, should be getting their flu shot unless they have a contraindication. Second is that pregnant moms are high risk and should def- high risk of influenza and should definitely get the vaccine. Uh, that there's no nasal spray this year. Uh, there's only the shot available. Uh, Number four is timing-wise, you should really just get your vaccine as soon as it becomes available and ideally before the end of October. Uh, You don't want to really have people delay the vaccine and then end up not getting it. Um, So go ahead and get it when it's available and it's convenient for you. Uh, Number five, even kids with egg allergies are fine to get the the shot, uh, the flu shot. They don't need to go to an allergist to get the vaccine. Uh, number six, flu shot can't cause influenza. We all know this. It doesn't have any live influenza in it. There's no way that it can cause the flu, despite the occasional anecdote that you might hear from somebody. Number seven, there's a lot of vaccine available, uh, so there's no reason to not get it done. There'll be enough for everybody. Um, number eight, the most common side effects are just pain in the arm or leg, and maybe 10% to th- it says 10 to 30% here uh, of children under the age of two might get a fever, but the older you are, uh, the less likely a fever is. I certainly don't see fevers anywhere near that rate in my practice, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering about where that number comes from. But 
Number nine is thimerosal, the preservative that is in a minority of flu uh, vaccines. Uh, this year, as best that I've been able to tell, uh, I don't know exactly the percentage, but it's not difficult to find a thimerosal-free formulation if you want, although thimerosal, after being studied for decades now, has not been shown to cause any problems in the amount that's in any vaccine. Uh, and finally, you don't want, the, she says, you do not want influenza, get the shot, okay? Yes. Influenza <laughs> is a potentially very serious illness. I personally have seen more than one child die of influenza in the PICU um, who could have survived if they had been immunized. So please don't pass up this opportunity uh, uh, to get immunized and uh, protect your family. So check that blog post out, read more about it, and also watch the fantastic video that she has to go along with it. That's It's going to be right now the top post on her blog, seattlemamadoc.seattlechildrens.org. All right, yeah, and you know, we're going we're gonna to do a whole um, episode probably in a couple months about influenza but it's it, it's been a, it was a terrible flu season in Australia right and that's often a good predictor of what our flu se season is going to be like so mm -hmm. um don't let the David avocado wolves of the world scare you out of protecting <laughs> your family against flu right and get it done now if you can so we'll definitely have an episode where we'll talk about everything more in depth um but it is worth, if you can get your flu shot done, get your flu shot done. I'm sure I'll be getting mine done by the end of the month. They bring it around at work uh, for all of us. And so anybody who follows me on social media will know exactly when I've gotten my flu shot. Well, uh, my around the web is actually a, a predictor, something I'm predicting, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it was in a little private Facebook group that you and I are in, mm -hmm. um, where you mentioned that someone, that you're wondering what the term is um, that would go along with mansplaining when you're the doctor and a parent comes in and explains to you uh, what there is about <laughs> vaccines, right? Right. Uh, which is interesting because, um, you know, I, I've heard over and over again, uh, you know, parents know better than the doctors about vaccines. So mm. I'm, I'm imagining that it's not an uncommon occurrence that a parent will come in and assume that he or she knows better than you do about vaccines. Am I correct? You know, it's interesting because I don't feel like it's nearly as common in my practice sure. because people in my practice are coming to me because they want me to be their doctor. They've They've chosen me as their child's doctor, and so they are generally going to be interested in having a discussion, and so I don't feel like my parents come in and, like, know more. They they may not agree with me, and we may have a discussion. It may not come out to, in the end, them deciding to immunize in some cases, although, again, if they've Googled me at all, they they probably know that where I fall in terms of whether, whether I'm going to recommend immunizations. But in conversations online, certainly on my Facebook right. page, if I post something about uh, about uh, some piece or posts about a recent study or post the recommendation that such and such a group should be immunized, uh, I am certainly going to have people coming on there and telling me how much I don't know about vaccinations and how much I don't read about vaccinations. Right, right. Yeah, that's, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, so, so the term that one of our friends came up with was vaxplaining, which is not like a vaxplanation um, 
that's different. It's vaccinating as in um, what an anti-vax person would do to a doctor or an expert of some sort, sort of the partner in crime to mansplaining when uh, a <laughs> gentleman might explain to an eminently qualified woman um, right. something in her area of expertise. So that's that's my around the web. I'm predicting that it's going to become a thing. We just the invented web. an around the web. We've invented yeah, a thing. <laughs> Well, sometimes I put things on the internet on purpose and then sure. bring it up so I can I can invent one. <laughs> <laughs> it's always really interesting because I, I feel like, you know, there's some reasonable, uh, you know, certainly there are people out there who read a ton about vaccines and have probably spent more of their free time reading about vaccines than, say, mm-hmm. a random doctor off the street, okay? Right, like but a But when we're talking about people who are online that are actually advocating for immunizations, we've read a ton about vaccines. You're not telling me an argument or a, like a point that I haven't already looked into. I've been, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't digging deep uh, into the literature. Uh, and no, nobody online would be advocating for vaccines if they weren't really interested in the topic. That uh, We want to make sure that our patients, everything that we're advocating for are things that we want our patients to have the best outcomes. We want them to be the healthiest. We would not be recommending these things if we hadn't looked into them and, and figured it out. And then we're trying to advocate that for in general. And and so, yeah, that's always interesting that, that when, when, when you're told in very, 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 very long paragraph form uh, about <laughs> things that they really think you don't know or haven't read about or haven't looked into. And many times just utterly like putting ingredients in vaccines that are not in vaccines or things that are just like blatantly like disprovable uh, even without going too deep so it's it's always a fun experience right yes so this is it's it's not for your average vaccine hesitant parent who mm. you know is has a concern or even a parent who you know i think there are some parents who um could be termed anti-vaccine and uh they're anti-vaccine in their hearts and they're not you know, disseminators of anti-vaccine sure. misinformation, but you know, for those for those who are very loud on the internet, so that kind of leads me um, to the thing that's going to lead us to introducing Tara, which is something that I found not related to vaccines that I think fits in perfectly when we're talking about why advocate for vaccines is it e- is it even worth doing, and uh, you know, for a lot of people we hang out with the people who think like us. Mm-hmm. And so in all likelihood, if you're a parent who vaccinates her children, you probably hang out with mostly parents who vaccinate their children. And the one cousin you know who doesn't vaccinate her kids probably has a friend group of people who also don't vaccinate their children. And so for a lot of people, the encounters, other than with the cousin that you might have would be online with that high school classmate you haven't spoken to in a number of years who is you know posting memes again from david avocado wolf we'll just be today. <laughs> good idea <laughs> i doubt he listens to this podcast anyhow mm. um so so that's that's sort of where people often get their first encounter and and i have to admit that when i was 
first working on Voices for Vaccines that it was kind of frustrating to me because I wanted people to do things in real life and they were committing so much time and energy to the internet version of doing things. Mm -hmm. And and I I think that's one of the questions I'll have for Tara. But I found on Twitter this weekend something that was really interesting concerning uh, why, why it's actually worth arguing with people on the internet. And again, this is generic, so it has nothing to do with vaccines, but I think that a lot of these things are true. So I'm just going to read through this list of four reasons, even if you have no hope of changing people's minds, why it's worth arguing with people on the internet. And then, you know, you can, you can tell me what you think about these. Yeah. Number yeah. W- yeah. Number one, to change the minds of less committed onlookers. Number mm-hmm. two... To give relief and comfort to onlookers who share your view and wish someone would stick up for it. Mm-hmm. Number three, to set an example of sharing one's opinion, even if it's controversial, a valuable norm to reinforce, even if you don't change anyone's mind on that particular issue. And number four, to set an example of polite and reasonable argumentation, again, a valuable norm within its own right. So the last two are maybe about our discourse more than they are about vaccines. But the first mm-hmm. two, uh, look, ta- thinking about onlookers, wh- what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think, I mean, those are such great points, particularly, you know, we talk about vaccines here, but there's so much going on that's worth speaking up about that all of those are, are applicable to, right? So if we're talking about race issues, et cetera, and there are people watching those conversations and people need to speak up uh, and have those discussions or even, you know, quote unquote arguments uh, if, it, if it turns to that, because otherwise, you know, the other opinion is just kind of getting its way and it, it's, it's the right thing to do to speak up. And in this case, we talk about vaccines. I mean, that applies as well. So, mm-hmm. I think absolutely. One of the things that I always think about when I'm doing, if I decide to engage anywhere online, I'm always, and I think a lot of people do this, I I say to myself, okay, what's my goal here? Why am I engaging in in this particular place? Is this just because I really want to be right? Or is this because I think that there's maybe some value going on here where other people are watching and can learn a thing or two? Uh, or can be, you know, might be swayed by the argument that is happening right now, uh, where I might be able to help put that into perspective. So I, I, and and what is the, you know, likely benefit? Am I just going to get deleted by the admin because I'm going to another, you know, I'm going to argue on some, you know, very anti-vaccine Facebook page? That's probably not super productive because I'm probably just going to get the ban hammer. So <laughs> why am I going to expend my energy there? But there are so many kind of neutral grounds where there are those onlookers, where people are reading, um, that I think it's worth doing it. But I think the most important place is to have those truly, and it's the hardest, and again, this is not just vaccines, but with all those other difficult conversations, is in your own personal social network, which is where it's the most difficult and where it's the most important to be be judicious in your choice of language and whatnot. But those are the areas that we have the most influence when when somebody sees that it's us standing up for this uh, and they know us, uh, 
we're not an anonymous person online who may or may not be a pharma shill, right? So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, we're we're a real person to them. Our opinion matters. Um, so I think that is worth worth having those discussions. And so I think it's worth if you see that kind of stuff spread. Um, I I never want relationships to be damaged because of right. you know a vaccine discussion. But that's not to say that you can't have the discussion or even push back respectfully when somebody's posting things that are potentially public health endangering views that are not accurate. Right. And, and you know, that's I think that's really important as far as not destroying your relationships. You know, a yeah. couple of weeks ago I had a friend, and I'm, I'm going to anonymize this as much as possible. Sure. Uh, a friend reached out to me and said, I just realized that you are on the opposite um, end of this vaccine issue as this other close person in my life. Mm. And uh, have you encountered this person? <laughs> okay. And I said, yes, I have. <laughs> um, she seems nice enough, even though we disagree. Yeah. Um, and, and so this woman said to me, you know, I just, I can't talk to her about it. She doesn't want to hear what I have to say. And I said, you know what? If if you know that it's okay to say i'm i'm going to be this person who loves you in your life and i'm not going to change your mind mm -hmm. so i th i think there is a certain amount of um you know when you're arguing online and you encounter a person that that could be someone connected to you and also you know knowing when you know knowing when to fold them and knowing when to hold them and when to walk mm -hmm. away when to run um <laughs> <laughs> but you know knowing where your limits are as far as what's going on and so i think the thing I, the thing that really struck me about that list is how mindful it's asking us to be when when we're online because it's really easy to get swept up into the whole somebody is wrong on the internet and mm -hmm. i'm going to show they are um it's also easy to get really angry and frustrated at people when when you say something like, you know, uh, I I I know somebody whose child has cancer, and th the response might be something like, "Well, it's not my job to protect that person's child," and mm. th so then you you know you, you might feel angry. Um, you know, it's it's hard to remember that there are people watching how you're going to respond to that, and people watching what you're going to say to that and people who might be um, looking for cues. And I, I don't fault people who go to really dark places about, you know, maybe Darwin will get your child or, you know, the, sort of these, these awful places, but we can't go there. And, mm. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about too, sure. you know, when you have 95% of parents who vaccinate their children, some of us are jerks and yeah. we have to be yep. really careful about calling those people out too and making sure that we are participating in that sort of norm of reasonable discourse. Yeah, and I don't want to, you know, um, say too much about what the right tone is and what isn't the right tone, although I definitely think there are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed. At the same time, we are talking about an issue that is quite definitely has lives in the balance, like kids' lives are at stake. So I can understand emotion being added to an argument, but yeah. I just want people, I like you, I think I just want people to be mindful of what's my goal here? How right. am I doing this? Is, is this when I react, you know, 
there are certainly, I think, appropriate times to react with more emotion and more of that oomph uh, and pushback than other times. Uh, and so I think being just thoughtful about that is what's important. I don't necessarily think that it means that we all have to be, you know, very, very polite and very logical all the time. I think sometimes emotion is an important element of this because, again, we're dealing with, um, you know, um, misinformation that literally puts people at risk of disease and death so that does have some gravitas to it yeah. and should in some discussions so certainly but just i think again just being thoughtful of how am i going to be most effective is always yes. a good thing to be thinking about yeah, and yeah, we're not we're not here as the tone police. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we certainly wouldn't be good at that anyway. Mm. So, um, but we're not here as the t- no, <laughs> we're not here as the tone police. But it is it, it it is one of those things again. You know, I think that mindfulness is important. Um, so th- that's that's sort of uh, what I was thinking about as we're heading in to talk to Tara. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're back and i want to welcome tara smith to the podcast tara is a lot of fun and she is also very smart she is a professor at in the public health department at kent state which is super impressive and she is also the author of a new paper can you tell me what that's called again tara i know i said i was gonna have that oh yeah i have it up here um see what, what my final title actually was um, yeah. Vaccine Rejection and Hesitancy, a Review and Call to Action. Yes. So, Tara, um, Nathan and I, before you came on, we were talking a little bit about uh, the reasons why it's worth arguing online with about vaccines. But, you know, we want to expand that a little bit and talk to you about this paper and about how what advocacy looks like and what people can do. Uh, before we do that, though, I'm just wondering... You know, a lot of times I, I've met lots of people who work in schools of public health and they talk about public health and, and they're away in their academic settings and that's just sort of what they do. And same thing with, you know, doctors and public health officials. They're sort of in the mix of what they do and it's busy and it's a lot of stuff. But when it comes to, say, doing some sort of advocacy work out in the wild where <laughs> vaccine hesitancy and vaccine rejection lives, they're not there so much. So what brought you to that space? How how are you different? Right. So I've done work kind of in the larger science denial space for, gosh, about 20 years. Um, after I graduated college and started um, grad school, I was living in, in Ohio and the Discovery Institute. So they're the ones behind like intelligent design and this whole push that, um, you know, the human body and everything is too complex to be a product of evolution. So they were trying to get that into the high school curriculum. And so I, you know, wrote letters to the editor and, and things like that about how important biology was and why we wanted to keep Ohio's you know, science curriculum evidence-based and science-based um, rather than, um, you know, based in religion. So I did that for many years. And um, then I started, I, I actually um, wrote for a, a blog that still exists called The Panda's Thumb that was focused on evolutionary biology and wrote for them for a while and then decided there were some other things that I wanted to talk about um, 
in my you know area of specialization, which is infectious disease. So I started writing about like HIV denial. There are still people that don't accept that HIV causes AIDS, for example. And the tactics that people use to discredit evolution and to discredit HIV um, as the, the cause of AIDS are basically the same as they use to discredit vaccines. Um, and obviously, since, again, my interest is in infectious disease, of course, it didn't take very long to um, to start writing about vaccination as well. And, you know, I also had children that that were born in the late 90s, early 2000s. So when, you know, the Wakefield study had just come out and um, the Institute of Medicine was looking at vaccinations and, and things like that. So my kids were vaccinated kind of at the beginning of, of some of that resurgence of, you know, fear of vaccination and the idea that MMR, you know, caused autism and, and things like that. So I guess it's been kind of a long journey, but it all seemed to just logically lead from one step to another. Right. It's interesting how many people, too, start off combating different science denial and end up with vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, do you, I mean, do you think there's any sort of reason why that happens, why so many people sort of land in the, the combat, combating vaccine hesitancy and vaccine rejection area? Um, instead of staying sort of in, you know, when we, I've talked to Dr. David Gorski before, and he started mm -hmm. with dealing with Holocaust denial. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what, what, what is it about vaccine um, hesitancy and rejection that really draws people in, do you think? I think it's something where you can have, you know, more of an immediate impact, right? I mean, you can, you can see the effect that, um, that herd immunity has on a population. And when that drops, how many more people are vulnerable to vaccine preventable diseases. So, you know, with evolution, obviously it's, you know, I, I still think that is critically important. Um, but, you know, people that are out there denying evolution aren't really putting people's health at risk as much as those who are, you know, spreading misinformation about vaccination. So I, I think it becomes really just an immediacy issue that we don't want this to push farther into kind of the general public than it already has. And with some of the big outbreaks recently with, with, with Disneyland and everything like that, I think it's it's become a good place for people with that type of, of background and an understanding of science denial to be able to, you know, kind of focus their, their efforts on something that I think the public is really interested in right now. Right. So you uh, wrote this paper, Vaccine Rejection and Hesitancy, a Review and Call to Action. And this is for people who are looking for it in, is in the Open Forum Infectious Diseases, um, the July 2017 issue. Mm -hmm. um, what made you decide to write this article? Because I know there's a backstory about why you decided that this, this article was important. Right. So this has been kind of percolating in my head for a while <laughs> before I put it to paper. But um, for the past two years... I was a distinguished lecturer for the American Society for Microbiology. So um, ASM has different branch meetings um, throughout the United States. And as a distinguished lecturer, ASM um, pays for the branches to, to bring me and, and others out to give talks and to meet with students and things like that. Um, so I did these for, for two years. And one of the talks that, that I gave was on vaccine hesitancy. And so I would, you know, give these talks and, and talk to people afterwards and do the Q&A. And these are two, you know, microbiologists. And a lot of them were really interested in, in, 
encountering this and, you know, understanding more about what's going on and things like that. But, you know, they hadn't um, been doing this for years or followed all the groups on Facebook or, you know, really dug into the misinformation that's out there in social media or something like that. Um, so I tried to put this together as, as kind of a first step for them, um, you know, just to have an overview of some of the arguments um, that some of these people make, some of the people who are involved in anti-vaccine circles and, and things like that as a way for them to start understanding um, about vaccine hesitancy and then put in some suggestions on what they can do, you know, things that are either fairly easy for them to do just from their computer, from their desktop, from, you know, talking to family and reunions or things like that, um, to things that um, could be policy-based. So, so trying to get them some more confidence to get their feet wet in this area. Right. And so, yeah, so you start off, the paper starts off with um, the most common arguments in the cast of characters. And when you are talking to students into people working in the area what are they most surprised about as far as these people and these arguments um i think it's just you know really how simplistic some of these are and how much misunderstanding there is um you know that, that how could anyone deny that herd immunity exists um you know how could um they think that that people making vaccines are purposely trying to injure children or something like that, or are, are paid off by pharmaceutical companies. Um, there's just kind of, I think, a lot of um, naivete on the, the part of a lot of, of scientists um, when it comes to some of the arguments that are used and, and how badly some of us are, are painted by those in the anti-vaccine movement. Um, you know, I, th I think a lot of them think it's all just Jenny McCarthy and, you know, everyone just just gets their information from her and believes her and she's the only one that's that's pushing this. And I think they're a little surprised when they see that it actually is, you know, some physicians, some researchers and and, you know, a whole cast of other characters <laughs> that are the ones that really um, come up with some of these um, these ideas and, and push them through various sources. I like the look at the cast of characters there um, and being able to kind of, I think that's something that you don't see enough of um, really looking at the individuals that are behind the anti-vaccine movement that disseminate the information um, and then kind of looking at what their credentials or lack thereof are. And that is kind of nice mm -hmm. to have that summary in your paper. And you go on to talk then uh, in the paper about what um, experts who are not necessarily experts who have a lot of patient contact, what they can do. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of ideas you have or what you found uh, in your research for that? Right. So, um, so it's, it can be very simple. You know, things that I do um, both on my um, kind of my, what I call my nerd page, my science page, as well as on my personal, you know, Facebook site, are just, I, I talk about when myself or any members of my family get vaccinated. Um, I do have three kids, they range in age from three to 17. Um, so we get, you know, our flu shots yearly. And then of course, the older kids are also, um, you know, getting updates on meningitis shots and, and things like that. And of course, the, the toddler just went through all of his um, baby shots and things. So, so I talk about that. I talk about why I think they're important. Um, when the older kids got their HPV shots, I talked about that and my, 
my oldest is is a girl and um, my middle child is is a boy so you know some people were surprised that he was getting the hpv shot as well and still had perceptions that it was only for girls so you know i tried to provide that that information and show that you know i believe in the importance of of vaccines um so you know those those things to just kind of again kind of normalize it um, with with maybe a little bit more um, I don't know um, because coming from a scientist maybe it makes a little bit more of an impact than just kind of your everyday person because hopefully I know the science behind them um, so those types of things you can do um, you know writing letters to the editor again that's how I started off with with all of this anti science stuff was just writing to my local paper and talking about um, how important evolutionary biology was. You can do that with vaccines. Um, you can talk about, you know, people in, in your life, in your family that have had vaccine preventable diseases. You know, I've been very open that in my family, we've had a bad history of chickenpox. Um, an uncle I had, um, I, I never met, he died when he was one. Um, and he died from from chickenpox pneumonia. And then my grandmother, his his mother, um, died when she was 87 of complications from shingles. So you know, recurrence of chickenpox. Um, and when I had chickenpox as, as a child, it was you know pretty horrible, and I still have scars. So you can talk about the impact vaccine preventable diseases have made on you know yourself or your family. Um, then I actually stole some things um, from Karen's paper too about the potential <laughs> to be like a vaccine ambassador and to if you have um, offices in your area who may be looking for people who are educated you know to talk to parents to um, be there to answer questions about vaccines or something like that not as um, you know a medical professional but as someone who is is educated about those um, and has maybe gone through some of the vaccine um, you know things before um, you know to, to do that or to even look at setting policy um, here at Kent State, even now, the only vaccine that we require for our incoming students is the MMR. Hmm. Um, even for students that live on the dorms, you know, we don't require chickenpox, we don't require um, any meningitis shots, anything like that. So, um, so I have talked to to some people trying to hopefully maybe move that along and and require some more <laughs> vaccines of our of our students. Um, but that's been a little bit of, of a paperwork um, nightmare. <laughs> So that's still in process. Do you have a sense of if that's different? I don't really know enough about university requirements in mm -hmm. different states. Do you have a sense that that is norm, uh, common to only require that vaccine or uncommon? No, um, it, it doesn't seem like it. I had actually one of my students, um, he was a practicum student last year. I did a project on that looking at um, schools similar to Kent, and we had the lowest vaccine requirements of any of those. So most of them especially for students on campus, you know, will require, uh, you know, most of the childhood vaccinations, which, you know, most of them should have gotten anyway. Um, sure. So, and then, and then Ohio State used to require only MMR, um, but then with their outbreak of mumps, and I, I don't think that was maybe also not enforced really strictly, but with their outbreak of mumps, they've, they've required, you know, two doses of the MMR and proof of that. Um, plus a number of other other vaccines. So we seem to be pr pretty low on the totem pole um, as far as requiring our, our vaccines and most other universities I think require more. In your, well, before you came on uh, just now, uh, Karen and I were having a discussion about 
engaging in discussions slash arguments <laughs> online with people that you don't necessarily know mm. in real life. People who either have come to your nerd page or that you might have read something elsewhere on the internet. Do you and 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 you've considered whether or not you should comment or start to engage in the discussion there. Do you do that much? And if so, what kind of we were talking about what kind of philosophies or guidelines we follow when we consider doing mm -hmm. that. Do you have much of a <laughs> Uh, opinion on that? I do. Um, and I mean, it depends. I, I, I guess I don't do it much anymore. Um, I, I guess I try to just push good information on, on my page rather than engaging in a lot of, of dialogue and kind of online argumentation anymore. I used to do it a lot more in the past. Um, but I do, th I do do that occasionally. And especially when I, when I see, um, uh, you know, news sites or, or something that may be read by a lot of people, um, you know, and read by people that are not necessarily commenting. Of course, there's a lot of, you know, lurkers wherever you go. Um, so if, if there's something that is really <laughs> bad um, or just really wrong, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe a few minutes to, to correct that. Um, I always, you know, try to stay polite. I don't try to be snarky and, you know, sarcastic, even though that's, how I am, <laughs> but but when I engage in these type of, of dialogues, you know, I, I try to keep in mind that many people are swayed not only by, you know, the arguments, but more so by the tone and, and things like that, that, or at least they can dismiss you if you are snarky or sarcastic. So I try to do it with factual information, with personal anecdotes when I can, talking about my own experience or my children's experience, um, noting that, you know, this is an area of expertise for me and, and um, you know, to do it with, with politeness. Right. <laughs> so. Do you think that there is a lack of people who have the science chops to do so engaging online in that way? I think there is. I think a lot of people, you know, who I work with on a daily basis in public health and microbiology and infectious disease, you know, they're really hesitant to do that. And when they do engage, you know, they, they have this idea that just correcting these misconceptions will be enough, right? That, that people are just misinformed, they're uneducated about, you know, vaccines, about infectious disease. And if you just tell them the right information that that will help things. And, you know, I, I, as I argued in the paper, I do think there's a place for that. I think, you know, there are people that are just genuinely seeking information sometimes. But um, as many psychological studies have shown, you know, it's, it's not just a lack of information. It's, it's being actively misinformed. And it's being part of a, you know, group identity sometimes where, um, you know, where it's, it's more than just... Um, just the information that you have, but it's the people you identify with. And if they're anti-vaccine, then you're going to, um, you know, be more likely to to be as well. So I, I think I think it's not only the, the people that l aren't engaging that are informed on this, but it's it's those that are informed about the science, but maybe not on some of the other psychological aspects of of vaccine and, and other forms of science denial. Yeah, that, that's really important. That's really key because uh, usually parents who are hesitant about vaccines in particular didn't get hesitant because of a rational, you know, mm -hmm. reasoning through it. it it's, it's more emotional. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I, 
I think online is definitely one uh, fertile ground, I agree with you, where we could have science people and also, you know, regular folks engaging more. I'm wondering if there are other arenas, other spaces where we need more advocacy for our folks with the science chops. And I should say, you know, expanding that beyond that, just folks who might listen to this podcast. Uh Yeah, I think, I mean, I think anywhere is is fair game. Um, You know, I I use some pictures in the the article um, of my child. Like at, at, we went to Disney World um, a few years back and, um, you know, I put him in, in a shirt that says, you know, fully vaccinated, you're welcome. And, you know, some people stopped and, and asked me about it. Some that really appreciated it, some that um, maybe didn't as much. <laughs> but, you know, that, that that allows for conversations to start um, for people that maybe are fearful of vaccines. And obviously they see that I'm not, so they can ask questions about them. Um, you know, there's, there's uh, policy implications for all of these, of course, with... The current federal administration, there are a lot of concerns about, um, you know, any changes in general to funding to, you know, I, I think there's less chance of really changing some of the vaccine policy issues, but, um, but keeping that kind of in the public eye. So I think, um, you know, people can talk to their legislators about these, these types of issues and, and keep them rising to the top and, and noting that they're important, even if you don't want to maybe argue with people online. <laughs> you can you can argue with your representatives instead. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, there there are chances all over the place. We have, um, you know, in, in my classroom, I obviously teach public health students, and we talk a lot about, about vaccinations, um, and they usually have stories about um, you know, family members or something like that, where they've discussed vaccines with them as as well. So I'm open to it just about anywhere and, and really try to incorporate that into um, into as many areas as I can. Uh, one thing that has happened recently, I, I'm kind of wondering about your read on it, is someone that I think you know online is a gentleman named Craig Egan. <laughs> and he has been following this... <laughs> <laughs> He's been following this vaxxed bus and, you know, vaxxed is connected to several of the people you point to in your cast of characters Mm -hmm. in your paper. You know, it's a documentary from Andrew Wakefield and Polly Tommy is one of the people on the bus. Suzanne Humphreys has been on the bus and he's been following it around. And, you know, just as a a side note, because we had Craig on the podcast that I did want our listeners to know that I went out when he came to Minneapolis, I went out and met him um, and and got to um, work with the bus or I'm sorry, got to protest the bus as well. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering if you (laughs) if if you have any read on how scientists might engage there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, so that is is one that's also kind of fueled by emotion, at least on the bus, right? So, um, you know, that's been touring around and trying to get s- stories from parents that believe their children are vaccine injured, um, which again, a lot of them, you know, see things like autism and and other things as a a vaccine injury that the science doesn't really stand up for. Um, so that's kind of a tricky one because it's it's really hard for 
to refute those types of stories with science, right? right. Um, you know, you can say as much as you want that this is not documented, there's no papers linking this, and, you know, research like Wakefield has been completely discredited. But when parents strongly believe those, of course, they're not going to be reasoned out of that with science. You know, like you mentioned, it's it's an emotional connection. And, and um, so I, I think that's one of the areas where scientists need to be careful. Um, and, you know, Craig, again, I, I know was, was um, following that and, and, you know, raised a lot of, of awareness of these types of things and also how, um, how the Vax documentary used pretty poor science and, and emotional manipulation really to, to prove its, or to uh, suggest its point, um, not prove it. Cause of course it's not, <laughs> didn't really do that at all. Um, so I think it's great for him. Um, I don't know that would be the best use of time for many of the, the scientists, unless, you know, they, they want to talk about, um, you know, m- many may have, have children with autism that they may want to show their side of the story, you know, how they don't believe that vaccines cause this, or, um, you know, they, they saw signs of this maybe um, you know, even prior to vaccination or something like that. But I, th- I think it's really hard to counter those types of emotional stories with any kind of scientific evidence. It just doesn't work. And those are, again, kind of your true believers that aren't going to be yeah, changed with, with scientific evidence anyway. No, that's true. It's it's interesting. When we were out at the Vaxxed bus, um, a few interesting things happened. Uh, but it was, the ba- Vaxxed bus came into Minneapolis on the day the Minnesota Department of Health was declaring our measles outbreak. Oh, over. yeah, that's right. Yep. So it was just really, <laughs> just timing. Yeah, the timing <laughs> stunk for them. So people were really sort of jazzed up to go out there, and and we we had a nice little band of people. Considering that we didn't find out till that morning where the mm, bus was even going right. to be, <laughs> but two of the people who came out, um, one was Joe Curland, and and the other one was Patsy Stinchfield, both from Children's Minnesota, um, Pat, and they're both work in infectious diseases. Um, and Joe did a little uh, Facebook Live while we were there. Um, mm. Of course, we were very careful not to include any people who weren't consenting to be in our videos. So there weren't any of their children or, or they weren't in there. Um, mm. And that and I posted that on the Minnesota Childhood Immunization Coalition Facebook page. Uh, and then Patsy, you know, wanted to go take a closer look at the bus. So we walked up to the bus and... Um, you know, I, we were stared at a lot <laughs> as curiosities um, of some sort. <laughs> and one woman did approach us and I said, you know, hi, my name is Karen Ernst, you know, from Voices for Vaccines. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't even touch me. She wouldn't shake my <laughs> hand. And I was like, oh, this is, is going to go well. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, that's, you know, she points to the bus. All the names are written on the bus. She said, it's a lot of vaccine injured kids, isn't it? And Patsy said, it's a lot of names. And she said, why are you denying their vaccine injuries? <laughs> it's like, oh. So I did this thing where we just, where I did, I call it Oprah active listening, where she would say something. And I'd say, well, I'm hearing you say this. And she, like, I got it wrong four times. She, you <laughs> know, she was, she was poised. So I was like, there, there are no onlookers here. I'm not changing this person's mind. I'm going to walk away now. <laughs> uh, then an, another woman sort of stopped us and said, you know, I had a stroke after my flu shot. Um, 
and you know Patsy said well you know I'm, I'm glad you survived your stroke you seem to be doing well and uh, it was sort of an awkward conversation where she wanted to tell us that she was praying for us which I mean mm. I, I will take in all of the positive ways and uh. so you know that was that and sort of to your point like that's not what we were going to do but what did happen while we were there is we're standing there you know I had my make America vaccinate shirt on um, Craig had a sign that said vaccines save lives we had an autistic self-advocate who had a sign that said mutant and proud and she was wearing a (laughs) neurodiversity shirt and people would come by and they'd wave at us and one guy with a frisbee was like hey i'm on your side (laughs) you know people came by on bikes and they pointed at the vaxxed bus and they said they're the ones who started the measles outbreak so um, (laughs) even out in public we had some of that sort of onlooker thing going on where (laughs) you know because we were there it wasn't th- it wasn't just them standing in the background and i'm kind of you know it felt like a metaphor to me about how we so often give the you know these the cast of characters these people who are the leaders in the anti-vaccine movement we give them this sort of free space to roam and what if we had more scientists and what if we had more parents who weren't giving them that free space who were just standing there saying nope th- there's there's mm. this here. I'm not going to argue with you about it, but but here it is. Mm. So uh-huh. th- that's that's kind of you know when I was reading your paper again uh, yesterday, and I was thinking about that. That's kind of what was percolating in my mind is, you know, it it seems like a ridiculous thing to do to stand outside a bus, but maybe we actually need more doctors and nurses coming out to do this. I don't know. What do you think? You too, Nathan. <laughs> well, Avaxed uh, bypassed Des Moines entirely. <laughs> canceled their visit with us so I didn't even have the opportunity to think about if I could fit it into my schedule mm-hmm. um, but yeah I th- I think so I think again I mean it's it's like like Tara said you know it's so difficult to know what the right approach is but just to be present and to bear witness to the facts about vaccinations is valuable in and of itself and I never I don't know you know it's so tough when you talk about something like vaxxed which you know is a predatory situation you know that if they have the opportunity to twist something you say or something you do and make life really hard for you they will um, because they've done it so many times like and we can see what they've tried to do to craig Mm -hmm. who is not in healthcare. does and 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 so uh you know is a reasonable guy (laughs) not not a you know they're trying to make him a pharma shill but he has no ties like that whatsoever it's really hard but they're doing their best Uh. to try to make him as evil as they can and so I think we have to be somewhat, I, I agree on the one hand, yeah, it's worth being there. On the other hand, you just, you want to be judicious. And I think it's reasonable to say, you know what, these are people who are not going to be scrupulous when it comes to having a discussion or dialogue or, or dealing in the facts. Um, so maybe just ignoring it is sometimes the best policy as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with that uh, when it comes to certain situations where you know that, you know, it's not always going to be above the table with the person that you're, you know, with the kind of reaction that you're going to get.
as a target for harassment. Um, you know, obviously just what, you know, Craig has been getting in the last few weeks, what Paul Offit has gotten for the last, you know, decade, 15 years, um, that, you know, even something as, as small as writing a paper or making some comments online or something like that, you know, can really put you in, in the sights of some of these people. Um, so that's one thing also that I don't think a lot of, you know, scientists and, and things like that really think about is that when they, you know, openly advocate for something as, as seemingly un uncontroversial to them as vaccines, that there are going to be people that hate you for that and people that are going to, you know, target your institution and target your webpage and sometimes target your family just for advocating for vaccines. So that's something I think people need to be aware of um, as well, unfortunately. Yeah, I think safety first is <laughs> worth putting out there. And yes. I think you can be a good advocate without, you know, necessarily, you, you can be judicious about who you actually engage mm -hmm. and realize that, you know, certain personalities and you can kind of tell by things like profile pictures and, and, and not, not by their face, but like by, by um, maybe they, what they, what they're, sometimes there's a graphic or something right, that they're using right. or their, their handle or whatever, that this person is probably not, you know, the, the probably not, first of all, is probably not worth the time investment because I'm not going to change their mind, but also may not be the most, it may not be the safest situation to just start engaging this person. You can be pretty positive in your advocacy and just put out good information. And yes, you might get people who still take notice of that, but you don't have to, you can be judicious about not engaging and maybe even muting or blocking people. Mm -hmm. I personally think, you know, back in the day when I feel like, like you, Tara, I think I used to do a lot more arguing than I do now. And I used to think, well, I really want, I don't want to block anybody or mute anybody or do anything because I want those lines of dialogue. I'm kind of the opposite about that now. I'm like, you know what, if you're creepy at all, we're done. Sorry. Yeah. There's <laughs> no reason for me to allow you more access to me if you are a little bit creepy. And if other people want to do that to me, they don't like it when I talk or, you know, if somebody on the other side of the vaccine discussion doesn't like me. They can block me. I don't care. I'm not going to say, oh, I won, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. That's fine. You know, it's online. We're all trying to interact with people that we feel comfortable interacting with. Uh, so I think that people who are, you know, who have that science background and don't necessarily, you know, n aren't necessarily as comfortable in the public arena because of these factors can take steps to make that fairly limited. Mm-hmm kind of keep their head down so to speak and if you feel a little more like you want to engage and you're comfortable with that level of of exposure go right ahead but i think there are ways that people can do it safely uh -huh. uh, tara thank you so much for joining us today we really learned a lot um from you if people want to follow you on your nerd page or anything <laughs> else where can they find you right so on facebook it's just under tara c smith um, I think it's like slash Tara C. Smith PhD or something like that is, is the end of that. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Aetiology, A-E-T-I-O-L-O-G-Y. So I have a call to action for everyone. We're going to end our podcasts with a little call to action, a simple piece of advocacy that you can do. It is time to get your flu shot. Please go get your flu shot. And when you do, make sure you take a little selfie of yourself wearing a Band-Aid if you can get those. And if not, maybe your sucker or your lollipop and post those online. Um, you can also send them to 
our uh, Why I Choose Gallery. You can find that at voicesforvaccines.org slash gallery. And let other people know that you love to get vaccinated against the flu. And so this is just a reminder that you've been listening to Vax Talk, which is a production of Voices for Vaccines. You connect. You can connect with Voices for Vaccines on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, voicesforvaccines.org. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician in Des Moines, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, PedsGeekMD as my handle, and also on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Thank you.